Okay, hello everyone, welcome back to What the L. This is the first episode in series two. That was really weird. So to kickstart everything, we're doing the second part of the Sudan uprising with Zena. We were talking about April 6th, so I think the next thing I want to mention is June 3rd. Okay, so there has been a lot that has happened since the TMC took over. A lot of negotiations that no one was really happy with. Anytime the TMC released a statement, obviously people would react and comment on it, but no one would actually... It wouldn't be set in stone for the people until yeah. the SPA released their statement. And their statement would either show whether they agree with the TMC and they've come to an agreement or they're being like, you know what, they've made this statement. We don't care about what they have to say. Continue the sitting. So there's a lot of propaganda, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. Every time the TMC would release a statement and try and have some sort of negotiation, the SPA wouldn't agree with it. They would tell the people to continue to sit in and that's exactly what people would do. So the next significant date was June 3rd of this year when the military headquarters sit-in was dispersed. Probably one of the most violent attacks that had happened thus far. This was the first time I'd left the country since the revolution started, halfway through my holiday. I just traveled by myself with my cousin, the rest of my family, my dad, my siblings were all in Sudan. And I remember my cousin waking me up and she's like, Zina, the sit-in's been dispersed. And all the way throughout that day, we were just seeing, hearing names and oh, oh my God, this friend is missing and this friend is missing and this friend is injured and this has happened to this person and just trying to get into contact with people. So. The result of that was over 100 people were killed, over 700 were injured, over 50 were raped, and this includes men, women, and children, and thousands were missing and detained. So there was two significant stories of rape. So this was on June 4th. June 4th was the following day, Mm -hmm. which was Eid, the celebration of the end of Ramadan, and June 3rd was the final day of Ramadan. People were still fasting, but were still there overnight the entire day. People spent every single day in the blazing heat, fasting, continuing the sit-in. On the final day, that's when it was attacked. The following day, obviously, it was Eid. There was a significant story that came to light about a six-year-old girl who was all dressed in her Eid clothes, went to the mosque for Eid prayers, and then was raped by multiple men. I think it was oh ten men. I can't remember. Yeah. And then there was another... It was actually a video of a man talking about his story and about how he was trying to protect a woman from being raped. And then one of the Junjuri militia members was like, oh, do you think you're a man? And then ordered for him to be raped as well. So those were two of the rape cases. But there's still, obviously, there were still people being thrown into the rivers. And there are so many martyrs that are unidentified because obviously either from a gunshot, like hitting their face or being thrown in the river and not being found for a while. Because it was the River Nile, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it was the River Nile. It makes them unidentifiable. You can't you can't tell who they are. And people who are still still haven't found family members that could still be in the Nile and just haven't been taken out yet. So Jesus. that was June third. Obviously, June fourth was the total media blackout. That was the first day that the internet was completely shut off. And like I said, only ADSL routers are still working. And then the SPA released a statement saying that they're calling for a nationwide civil disobedience to take place on June 9th. So civil disobedience is stopping doing anything that allows any money flow to the government. Even if that's going to work, buying something from the shop, buying credit for your phone, sending credit to someone else from your phone, anything that 
allows any sort of flow of money to the government. I don't think people realize how much one day, one entire day. Sudan is a huge country. country. Sudan, just northern Sudan, is the third biggest country in Africa. If three million people can take to the streets on one day, imagine how many else was not on the streets. Street, yeah. The following day, June 10th, the Deliage market, which was in a city of Darfur, western Sudan, was burned down. People were killed, murdered, tortured, yeah. everything just for taking part in the civil disobedience. And we've known for a very long time that Darfur and Darfurians have gotten it so much worse than we have. Yeah. And the saddest part of it all is that the rest of Sudan, northern Sudan, has kind of just ignored that. And no one's really thought about it that much. Everyone's just like, oh, as long as it's happening to them, it's not happening to us. I remember being in Sudan and hearing about a petrol station being bombed or something five or six years ago in Darfur. And I was like, wow, what the hell? People in my house were like talking about it for a couple of hours and everyone just kind of forgot about it. Yeah. And this is the same thing that happened in South Sudan. Complete genocide literally went unnoticed. South Sudan were lucky to get away from us, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, so June 12th, the SPA suspended the civil disobedience. A lot of people didn't really understand why. And then again, it sparked conversation about should we trust, trust the them? Yeah. They, they're really on our side. A lot of people just looked at the headline, oh, they suspended the civil disobedience and didn't really think about why the reason they did is so initially people can stock up on the things that they need for the next time they call for one and there's also people that live paycheck to paycheck that can't exactly live through a civil disobedience the middle class and the higher class and people that can cope with that people that do have money saved up they can cope with something like that even though it might be difficult because you can't go get milk you can't go get things like that for the most part you can stay at home and live at home you have electricity you have water you yeah. have a roof over your head but there are people like tea ladies and people that sell fruit and stuff on the street that live paycheck to paycheck, paycheck the, money that yeah. they get is the money that they use on a daily basis they don't have there's nothing to them that's called savings since then russia and china removed all un involvement with sudan it's always been known that Sudan has had huge links with major superpowers like China and yeah. Russia. So it wasn't really a surprise. It's just something like the UN, a non-governmental organization, to have ties with the government. Yeah. So the last thing that was significant to June 3rd and the days following it was the Janjaweed militias, because they had seen how much recognition it had gained across the international community. Mm-hmm. They were like, okay, well, how do I kind of manipulate the narrative here? Yeah. And the only idea they came up with was to leave weapons in neighborhoods to kind of tempt the protesters into using their weapons. Because obviously, to everyone else, they thought this and these people were just being peaceful. But as, as long as they get one story or one piece one. of proof, on one protester killing one government official or one army soldier or one member of the RSF, then that's the way that they can flip the entire script. I had no idea that they did that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Honestly, neither did I, because I didn't see it for myself. I didn't leave the house, like, for a very, very long time when I got back from Dubai. But, yeah, I did hear about that, and it was happening in areas very close to my house. But they were just left there with june 3rd i don't even know why i didn't mention this the tmc when they released their first statement about what happened there's a place in khartoum which is referred to as colombia the reason it is referred to as colombia is because it's renowned for buying and selling drugs there so that's why it's called colombia there's not really other any other explanation to it their initial way of trying to cover it up was by saying oh we were we were trying to raid the sit-in to get rid of all of the drugs and everything and all of the drug addicts and but Colombia was not even anywhere near the city like Colombia was one place and the military HQ was another, another place, place yeah, yeah. They, 
not like opposite ends of the world from each other, but at the same time, it wasn't the same place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Why would you raid somewhere for something that is that known to be in a completely different location? Exactly. Such bullshit. Exactly. What a scapegoat? Like that's just. They didn't even try. That's the thing. They don't. They don't even need to try. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. They get away with such bullshit, bullshit excuses. They don't even need to put. You any can just say because them. I want to, and they'd be like, okay. Cool. Exactly. They could have just said that. They really could have just said that and nothing nothing would have changed. So there was a bunch of negotiations that were going on between the FFC and the TMC. So there was three main demands that the people had put out that they wanted to be a part of the negotiations and that they were not going to stop revolting until those demands were met. And the first one being the removal of the Janjaweed militias from all of the cities of Sudan the prosecution of the warlords and international entities opening an investigation into what happened on June 3rd. So after that, negotiations continued and then the SPA again said that there would be a millions march on June 30th. Hugely successful, the most successful protest by far and one that was met with the least amount of violence, thankfully. So six million people approximately were on the streets that day. And the SPA told the people to march towards the presidential palace, which is located in Khartoum. A neighboring city to Khartoum is called Umdurman. Mm-hmm. And so there was a march happening in Umdurman, a march happening in Khartoum. So the presidential palace is kind of on the border of Khartoum and Umdurman. So that's why they chose that location. People have been trying to march towards there for months. It's always been dispersed before then. But they thought if they had two different protests, walking towards the same location it would be more difficult to disperse so that's what they were attempting to do but just before the protests met each other they were dispersed tmc ordered dispersal of the citizens obviously and their claim this time was that there was unmarked snipers attacking army officials or army people or whatever so then they decided that the rsf had to get involved and that's what happened and there was 11 confirmed martyrs on that day which is still heartbreaking any life loss is still heartbreaking but in comparison to june 3rd and days before that it was a very minimal amount of martyrs and as much as i tried to say that the martyrs are not just numbers they all have names they all have a story unfortunately we don't know everyone's story but yeah it's still significant to know how the violence has decreased the tmc feels like it needs to show a good front towards the international community so following that day the spa has released a two-week revolution timetable which is going to lead to another millions march on july 13th on july 3rd there was direct talks between the tmc and the dfcf uh, which resumed after uh, mediation by the african union and the ethiopian prime minister appointed a mediator between the two groups Um, his name was mahmoud dirir and then on july 5th Um, again with the help of the African Union and the Ethiopian mediators, a verbal deal was reached between the TMC and the civilian negotiators of the FFC. If you remember from June 3rd, TMC and the FFC agreed on civilian negotiators of the FFC. There's a couple of different parts of the negotiation that was agreed to. The creation of an 11-member sovereign council with five military members and five civilians to be chosen by the two sides and a civilian to be agreed upon mutually. So five from the FFC, five from the TMC, and then they have to mutually agree on one of them. And then a transitional period of three years and three months, led by a military member for the first 21 months and a civilian for the following 18 months. Third one is a cabinet of ministers to be appointed by the FFC, which were the forces of freedom and change. A legislative council to be formed after the creation of the sovereign council and cabinet. And then the last three is just 
the creation of a transparent and independent investigation into the events following the 2019 coup and including the whole Khartoum massacre and okay. a committee of lawyers including the African Union lawyers to formalize the deal within 48 hours and the last one is democratic elections to determine leadership following the 39 month transitional period which we're currently in right now both sides don't necessarily have the same ideas about what exactly they want Sudan to be and the TMC obviously they don't want to let go of power that easily and the FFC are the voice for the civilians so yeah regardless of the fact that the people have managed to dismantle the government there is still parts of the government that just aren't letting go our oppressors are still all around us after that on July 17th the agreement that i just talked about was formalized with the signing by the TMC and the FFC and on an official document mm-hmm. in front of an international witness and a constitutional declaration remained to be prepared to complete the definition of the transition period and then 10 days after that if you remember in the points that i mentioned that they wanted to launch an investigation into the massacres and this was something that yeah the inter- community wanted to see the sudanese community wanted to see but obviously i'm pretty sure most sudanese people probably felt the same way that this investigation was kind of going to be a dead end because of like how many parts of the government would have some sort of say in how it went. Yeah, so on the 27th of July, while the negotiations on the constitutional declaration carried on, the head of the committee, which was appointed by the TMC to investigate the Khartoum massacre, stated that 87 people had been killed only, 168 were injured, and no rapes had occurred and no tents had been burned. Okay. Considering there was complete visual yeah. representation from both sides, from the civilians as well as the RSF that had recorded on their phones, you could see outside of the military headquarters that all of the tents that had been set up there were all being burnt down. That street and that area had been cleaned up so quickly, it doesn't even look like the same place anymore. But the fact that they didn't even really try to lie about it, because they could have well said, like, okay, no rapes, because they could easily claim it was all false claims, but the tents... There's visual the evidence it exactly yeah. it's visual evidence and it's the same with the deaths it came directly from the doctor's committee like this is like an official statement of how many people died exactly what their names are and needless to say the fact that there's still so many people missing there's still an active campaign to find them as soon as that stupid investigation was over the Sudan Forensics Doctors Union described the result of the inquiry as poor and defective and the FFC the Sudan's Women's Union and the Sudan's Professionals Sudanese Professionals Association and the Democratic Lawyers Alliance they all rejected the report and after that report came out protests started all over again mm-hmm. since then protests and massacres have still continued i think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about what's been going on in Sudan just because of the fact that in Khartoum in general there's not really been much going on but the west of Sudan Darfur has not yeah. stopped like it's continued to go through the same thing and i think that i assume that the sudanese people would have learned from their lesson of neglecting darfur years and years and years ago right now necessarily i wouldn't say that we've completely neglect- neglected them everyone knows what's going on but i feel like it's also a case of kind of talking about how to openly more and like putting it more on the media because they Definitely. don't have as much access to internet as we do it's more rural we live like Khartoum where I live is like a metropolitan city so we have access to media outlets and stuff so we should be the voice for them and we have been but I just really don't think it's been as effective as yeah. it could have been the same thing has been happening happening in north Kurdistan south Kurdistan it's been happening at pretty much almost everywhere other than the capital city itself yeah. but yeah it's been it's been a case of 
the media not picking up on it very well. It's been a case of Sudanese people themselves not really vocalizing it and being the voice for the people that don't necessarily have one. Because that's pretty much what's been going on. Sudan Change Now, which is a member of the Forces of Freedom and Change, they posted a statement basically accusing the TMC of manipulating the negotiation process and demanding all prosecution of all those involved in massacres and the liquidation of the militias, legal reform and representation for all of the armed struggle movements in the political agreement. And that was something that all of Sudan wanted to see. They wanted to see the people that had been terrorizing Sudan for so long take accountability, really pay for what they've done. And that's the one thing that people wanted the most is just for them to suffer it's not even going to be in any way as much of as much as the civilians and like the families of people who have lost people are going to suffer but at least see them suffer a little bit because i think throughout history especially in africa and a lot in the middle east there will be people in such high up positions of power commit awful crimes and even once the rest of the world recognizes what they've done and they're like they're already framed as like a like a say like a dictator or like a terrorist or just a horrible person in general that person even though their reputation might have somewhat been like tarnished a little bit they get to go on with their lives normally as if nothing has happened then no one's ever held accountable for it they can get away with it and even if in sudan you get the people get what they want out of this situation yeah all those people that were involved won't be held accountable yeah exactly it's just one of those things just allows them like the international community itself and us at some point people living in countries that are going on with this like we kind of allow them to do this when we don't really speak up as much as we should do just because it's not happening in where we're living does not mean it's not happening somewhere else and eventually it's going to affect us and it did affect us so Mm. i hope like sydney's people from now on and people just in general just learn from situations like this and it is important it takes two seconds to retweet something or post something Uh on instagram or just educate a friend or educate a colleague or just like let them know what's happening because it's not going to be long before it happens to people that you care about and people that you know just stuff like that in general if you know i'm like if you know something and you learn something share it exactly that's the one message that i think people should take from this the most even though sometimes like you feel like you might be boring the other person a part of that information is still going to stick in their head regardless and i just always believe just using your voice for the better. Personally, I think it's really, really selfish to use the advantage, the blessing that it is to be able to use social media actively, not using it to benefit someone else or benefit yeah. like, the world. I just think that's kind of selfish. Starting to see people more and more use their platform to just do a little bit of good, which I think is really important. After they kind of said that the TMC had manipulated the entire negotiation pro- process, which we had already expected to happen, the head of the TMC and the head of the FFC signed the draft of the constitutional declaration on the 4th of august of this year and the draft combined with the july 17th political agreement basically defined a sovereignty council of five civilians five military and a civilian that was mutually acceptable by both sides along with their transitional state bodies and procedures and then this is officially when the 39th month transitional period began the dissolution of the tmc finally and appointed of the sovereignty council so on the 20th of August 2019, the Sovereign Council was appointed. Yeah. It was all male, except for two women. And Abdullah Hamdok was appointed Prime Minister on the 21st of August. Unfortunately, do you remember Burhan, Abdul Fattah Burhan, who was the head of the TMC? He became the chairman of the Sovereign Council from the 21st of August 2019. From then on, we just realised it was going to be shared power regardless until the transitional period is over which is what we were expecting but at the same time to see him pretty much stay in the exact same 
level of power and continue to carry that on much longer than he'd already had he just gets to keep the same amount of power oh, the whole yeah. way it's frustrating but the issue is the fact that Abdullah Hamdok is an amazing person and he is now the prime minister of Sudan ever since he was appointed his biggest goal was to just kind of fix the reputation and the image of Sudanese people all across the world and within ourselves i think for the longest time we've kind of just hated each other it's kind of like built love within Sudan but then at the same time made people outside of Sudan see Sudan for what it is because for the longest time people have just seen it as a country that's riddled with civil war riddled with disease riddled with drugs things that the TMC specifically had tried to blast yeah like out exactly it's making it seem like oh this is what's happening in there he'd been trying to fix it but at the same time he's been put at the same level of, of power as the other person who's been trying to tarnish Sudan's reputation so it's just kind of something that's going up and down these people are just manipulating us yeah it's to incite so, hate as well isn't it really they want the world to forget about us they don't want the world to see us as a proper country that did need support and did need attention these people just want people to just forget about Sudan like yeah. and so they can continue committing crimes in peace like they have been for the last 30 years but unfortunately for them that's just not going to be how it is anymore mm-hmm. after that a comprehensive peace process with armed oppositions began on the 1st of September and the first woman to be appointed as the chief of justice on the 10th of October in history 2019 her name was her name is Ni'mad Abdullah Khair that's so cool so i think yeah i know that's that's the best thing right now is being able to see like discussions going on on the news between different political groups and the government and stuff and being able to see women there is like yeah. something finally for people to be able to look up to because in the past obviously we've had women in the government but they've been horrendous people like they haven't really cared about Sudan their only motive was exactly the same as the men and that was just to dismantle everything that has ever been good in Sudan and just make money and profit off it yeah. so that's pretty much how it's gone but being able to see women in like high high really high positions of power actually doing well is something that so many like Sudanese women needed to see especially people that have been born and raised here this is what they've known as like a structure of government yeah that's the one thing that has been an ongoing conversation is like how women have been excluded in society how women have been excluded in government and then all of a sudden these protests break out and you go outside and you see that the majority of the people there are women so that was yeah. something that was very surprising for people to see and luckily something the media picked up on very quickly as yeah, well yeah i remember um, yeah exactly yeah so the only two women in the whole sovereign council aisha musa Sayed and raja nicola the new chief justice was appointed on october 2019 like i just said the first woman who heads the judiciary and and the supreme court the candidates initially proposed the whole FFFC for the cabinet of ministers it included very very few women, mm-hmm. as we were like, as we were expecting. But the Sydney's Women Union Women's Union argued on the eighteenth of August that women had played just as significant role as men in the revolution. Personally, I think they played more, but it's fair enough to say that it was equal. And the Sydney's women claim an equal share, fifty fifty, with men at all levels, measured by qualifications and capabilities. I think this is an issue that's not necessarily just in Sudan. It is something that's globalized. The right way of doing it is when you're appointing someone in a specific place of power, their gender should not matter. Mm. It should be like what they're capable of doing and what their qualifications are and what they've done in the past and how they've been able to change Sudan, what they've done to try and change Sudan. Just having the typical, like, oh, they're too emotional. They're not going to be able to do their job correctly. What happens if they get pregnant and they're <laughs> going to have to take maternity leave and all of this bullshit that just really, really doesn't matter in, in most cases. I feel like appointing a man purely because he's not a woman is more troublesome than just appointing the a woman, woman in general. Yeah. 
it's just frustrating to see. But I think in Sudan as well, like we don't have a lot of internalized sexism when it comes to the workplace. What a lot of people have been surprised to hear when I've told them is Sudan has always had equal wage. Really? Always. Yeah. Yeah. It's obviously we have sexism in almost every other realm of society that you possibly could have. But the one issue that I've noticed from the West and other countries that are a little bit more developed is that their main issue when it comes to sexism is equal pay. The weird thing is, is that in Sudan we have equal pay, but we don't necessarily have every everything else. What's still being kind of ongoing is the protests. Mm-hmm. There was a protest recently in Darfur where obviously they still have violence from the RSF going on. So they were marching towards the NISS office. Obviously it was met with violence, multiple deaths tear gas, live ammunition, the same that we've been hearing all along, is still going on. In South Kurdistan, like, people were complaining about the toxic mining that's been happening around there, so they did the exact same thing. Protests about it, peaceful protests, as it's always been, violence was still met with it. In South Kurdistan, what is different about it is that, is there living environment, like, how can you be living in an area where there is mining going on that is adding toxicity to the air, that is making it difficult to find clean water? Mm. There's, like, garbage everywhere they're protesting for something that should be their right to live in an environment that's comfortable and clean and considering the monsoon season has taken a huge hit on sudan recently really really heavy rains crazy lightning so many people have died from the flooding yeah so many houses and apart from the flooding we don't have control over the monsoon season obviously but we can have control over how it affects sudan in general we have horrible infrastructure when it comes to draining a street next to my house They have the most luxurious and amazing houses I've ever seen in my entire life. But the street is absolutely horrendous. The last time it rained was about a week ago and it's still, the street is almost still completely flooded. Like our drainage systems are horrible. And then obviously when it goes down sewage areas and stuff and then that gets flooded, then everything that's in the The sewage sewage comes comes back up. up. It's out on the street. Exactly. So that's due to that, like there's been another cholera outbreak, which was a complete epidemic. There was an outbreak of malaria, which I don't think reached the same level as cholera did. But it's just, this is something that can affect you regardless of what your position in society is. There are things that we cannot escape as a community, and that's the spread of disease purely. And it's not even like, I think a lot of people have this horrible image of Africa in general. And it's just because people are unclean and people just don't wash themselves properly Mm. and people just, they don't eat. So that's why they're so susceptible to all all of these diseases. But that really isn't the case. It's that people here, we cannot escape the fact that the water that is coming through our pipelines into our taps is not clean. Yeah. And you can get it filtered, buy a filter, which is ridiculously expensive, and get clean water. But it's still the fact that, is that even going to be safe itself? Because we can't escape that. If you have a cut on your foot and you walk in a puddle and that puddle is diseased water, it's just something that we cannot escape regardless. And these are extremely contagious diseases that yeah. are being passed around you're susceptible to what everyone else is susceptible yeah. to purely because of the infrastructure and the way the government just does not fix this country and does not care about putting effort into fixing the streets and putting proper drainage systems which is something that i was so shocked to see when i was younger and i used to come here and visit on holiday and we would come around monsoon season as well so it'd be sandstorms raining and just everything's flooded and then it wouldn't flood for a week it wouldn't rain for a week but there's still water everywhere it's such a preventative measure as well. It's something that if was correctly funded, which could be correctly funded, if the government allocated it correctly, then it would be completely avoidable. So it's just avoidable deaths again, complete avoidable deaths. Literally, that's pretty much a sum up of the last 30 years of Sudan has been avoidable deaths. And it's the thing is that 
it's just an inconvenience to the people in the government themselves. The thing is, there's no medication. When it came to the cholera epidemic, there was no medication yeah. at all. So if you get cholera, you either die or you suffer. They didn't bring in any medicine to cure people from it. I think being hungry for money is a very, very dangerous thing because Sudan is a place that was once so rich in resources, but as soon as these toxic governments came in, they've just completely flushed Sudan from what it could have been. If you've seen throughout this whole revolution, people have been trying to advocate bringing back the old Sudanese flag, which was the blue line and then the yellow line and then the green the blue representing the river nile the yellow representing the desert and then the green representing the agriculture and all of the resources sudan has to offer to the rest of the world but ever since sudan became a part of the arab league this ugly ass fucking (laughs) flag came i really really hope they change it i really hope they change it back but yeah it still has so much potential and as a youth i'm actually in shock at how people have already taken what's happened in Sudan and tried to make it into something so much better and it just pretty much kick-started straight away like it wasn't even one of those things where people took the time to just kind of deal with the trauma that they've all been through it was just like you know what okay like this stuff is like it's kind of coming to a close now it's there's still like horrible things going on around the country but at least like the worst part of it in where we are is done so people straight away started to try and rebuild the community people are still cleaning the streets all the time there's loads of projects going on for example i'm currently working with a project that's refurbishing the orphanage in Khartoum. i think every group is just holding a part of society and just trying to build it up so i think that's a great thing what the civilians can do can only go so far we don't really have any hold over how that happens tell me quickly then a bit about the project because i actually wanted to talk about that you know you're talking about the people of sudan putting putting so much back into the wider community and things we've spoken a lot about what you're doing with the orphanage if you feel comfortable telling me and whoever listens to this a bit more about that because i think that's so cool it's so sick it's so selfless it's so inspiring and all these things have gone through all that and then still continue and look outside and want more for other people exactly yeah no i get what you mean and i think sudanese people are very very proud people i don't think we've ever really needed or asked for help from the international community. I think people just want to kind of get it done themselves. During the revolution, there was an Instagram page that was posting updates and stuff, and it's called Sudan Rise. So once, obviously, people stopped posting about it and there wasn't as much groundbreaking information, they decided to change that Instagram page into a campaign that was called Fill a Heart Campaign, basically just kind of trying to rehabilitate Sudan youth from the youngest. What we've been doing at the moment is there's an orphanage called the Maigoma Orphanage in Khartoum, I didn't really think much into becoming a part of the project. So like a couple of weeks ago in our uni, the people that are involved with the Fill a Heart campaign, we all held a fundraiser and stuff and people were like selling and buying art. But since like the fundraisers have kind of stopped for the last couple of weeks, there's been people cleaning the place up. There's been people fixing the AC systems and stuff, proper cooling systems there because obviously it can get really, really hot. Pipelines, the bathrooms, everything. I've just been trying to help out in what I'm good at and I've just been helping with painting just kind of really just making it a nice environment to be in and stuff and just mm. having something that makes the room look more comfortable make it more like a home and then a couple of days ago Mohammed Mother do you I think you've heard of him the martyr that passed away on June 3rd yeah the one that kind of founded like the whole blue for Mother, like blue for Sudan yeah I remember was talking about his mother came in 
and basically she's decided that she wants to make the next room in dedication to him and she's decided that she wants to sponsor the room so it is really bringing in people from the community into one thing considering this is something that has started off kind of small but then it's reached different parts of the community they want to come in and help pretty much after all of this all i have to say is that i really hope people don't forget about sudan because what's happening is still going on there has been a couple steps being taken forward but like i said a while ago like our oppressors are still actively working to try and break sudan down but i have complete faith in everyone in the international community in the sudanese people themselves but it still needs to be a part of a conversation. People still need to bring it up. People still need to educate each other because it's something that's important, especially because so many situations exactly like Sudan's have come to light recently. People need to talk about them as well. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing and coming back and talking with me again about it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and like the platform to talk about this because not a lot of people have given people the opportunity to do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I appreciate that a lot. That's okay. It's very brave and admirable to come and talk about all your personal experiences and also give all that knowledge to me and then to other people just for the greater good, just for the greater good, if that makes sense. And so I'm really grateful for that. We shouldn't stop talking about Sudan. It's still going on. I feel like they got a really good momentum at one point and everyone was sharing and sharing, but then like with everything, it drops off, doesn't it? And, yeah. But just because we're not talking about it or people aren't talking about it as much doesn't mean it's not going on. I also feel like people get in the habit of if something positive happens, that's like, oh, great, it's a win, amazing. And the positive thing overshadows the fact that there's still all this terrible stuff going on. Just because there's a plan doesn't mean that people aren't still dying. So yeah. I think it's it important. It needs to be executed properly before anything actually changes because not everything has been put fully into play. Very, very, very fresh into the transitional period everyone's expectations are fluctuating just because something really really good has happened which is great like we all deserved some good news but it's a tactic of the media really to just kind of like hide everything else that's been going on for sure okay well thanks everyone for listening see you later love you bye